Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen On. Over the last 200 years, nothing has divided us more than our free market economic system. Is it the source of every social injustice, from exploitation to alienation to inequality? Or is it essential to our individual freedom and democracy? This debate is as relevant today in 2020 as it was in 1920 or 1820. So what's up with our contemporary free market economic system? How do we fix capitalism? I'm in the heart of New London at the Trampery, uh, a new social enterprise networking space with its founder, co-founder, CEO, Charles Armstrong, who defies himself above all else as a social entrepreneur. Charles, I have to begin here. What does that mean? Does that mean you're not really an entrepreneur? <laughs> I think it means I'm definitely an entrepreneur, but uh, I think what became clear is that uh, entrepreneurs are motivated by a lot of different things. And we have the, the sort of Silicon Valley idea of the entrepreneur that really got established in the 1980s, which is stripped down to a set of rather oversimplified assumptions that they're primarily interested in uh, creating the greatest financial return as quickly as possible, in exiting, and then going on to do something else. Uh, and in reality, uh, you've met a lot of entrepreneurs yourself, I think you'll, you'll realize that that, do that isn't a real reflection of the majority of the entrepreneurs you meet. So how would you define an entrepreneur then? Someone who, who starts a business? Well, I suppose in the most general way, an entrepreneur is somebody who looks at the world and is able to see a slightly different version of it as a possibility. And then also somebody who has the, the, the set of skills to actually realize that alternative version of it. So one form of that is creating a for-profit business. But actually, there are many other forms uh, of entrepreneurship, and they're increasingly recognized. So you're defining an entrepreneur as an innovator. You're clearly one as the founder and the guy who runs the trampery. What about someone else on Old Street who runs a, a chocolate shop or a newspaper uh, shop? Are they an entrepreneur? I think absolutely they're, they're an entrepreneur. They're not doing anything very original or innovative, though. But, but they've created something that didn't exist before. And in a practical sense, they're managing to sustain it. And actually, the, the bedrock of, of the Western economy is shopkeepers and people setting up small businesses. That is where the majority of employment comes from. That's where the majority of value creation comes from. So are you saying that anyone take, who takes a risk to make money is an entrepreneur? But it, making money doesn't need to be the, the only or even their main objective. And I, I guess this is where social entrepreneurship comes from. That well, are you saying then that someone who has no interest in selling a book but wants to write a story, they're an entrepreneur? I'm not sure they're an entrepreneur. They, like so where do you draw the line between creative people and people trying to make money? Um, I think an entrepreneur creates some kind of institutional fabric. They create an organization. That seems to be one of the... Even if they're self-employed and they're, own, they're a company of one? Then it's not 
they may or may not be an entrepreneur. Because obviously, in the, in the modern world, you can be a company of one, but arrange a bunch of outsourcers and subcontractors that you are actually creating an institutional fabric of some sustainable uh, business or organization, even if you might be the only employee. That person, I, I would say, is an entrepreneur. And is capitalism then a network of entrepreneurs? I guess at its most basic, and obviously there are many different definitions of capitalism, at its most basic, it's a, a system of decentralized resource allocation, and it's taken many forms since its rise in the 17th century. It's changing all the time. Um, and how does the, the state fit into this? Um, well, that, that also has changed uh, constantly over, over the several hundred years, that, the, that, that you have modern states like China, where, where the, the state is a direct participant in the capitalist system. Uh, you have other, other situations, like the, the, maybe the late 19th century British example, where the state is adopting a laissez-faire approach and is seen as, uh, as creating a framework as an, and an enabler for capitalist activity. So the state then is, is the referee, it defines the rules of this network of entrepreneurs. That, that's pretty much the, the modern consensus is that that is the role of the state, but there are obviously big exceptions. Well, Charles, you've done a wonderful job defining economics over the last 300 years. So let's get back to my original question about a social entrepreneur. Why even put the social in? Why not just be an entrepreneur? Well, so just to take my own experience, uh, growing up, uh, I realized at a certain point that I was behaving like an entrepreneur. I was constantly setting up projects and, and trying to persuade people to get involved and doing things. But How old were you when you realized this? I'm I, was, I guess in my mid-teens. Um, but I also realized that I wasn't that motivated by, by profit. And so I was left in this limbo that I didn't really have uh, a, a bucket to put myself in and that's that's not that important perhaps but Where I did you grow up I grew up in in Cornwall uh, and were so, you from a, a, a wealthy family a poor family um, no not really a, a wealthy family um, but it wasn't a, a that poor so a middle family. class family. yeah middle class family um, and I read, I remember absolutely clearly reading an article uh, with a man called Michael Young, Lord Young of Dartington. Mm. Where who he was, you later studied with. Uh, whom I later studied with, yes. Uh, where who he wrote was, The Meritocracy. The Rise of the Meritocracy. You've done your, your research very well. I said, have you read the book? It's an incredible book. Not many uh, people read it. Yeah, and I think it's actually a side issue, but I think it's an increasingly important book for everyone to read in a world in which our meritocracy is increasingly... Uh, under question uh, for many different reasons, but but back to your childhood. So so yes, yeah, so I, I read an interview with Michael Young where he talked about social entrepreneurship, and he was really the person who created that concept in in the UK at least. And immediately, I thought this is amazing. This captures everything that I'm interested in and I'm doing. And that, that, was, that, was, that must have been 1997, and that was really just about ground zero for the social entrepreneurship in, in the UK. You mentioned earlier that so the, the one thing you define social entrepreneurship as is being different from the Silicon Valley entrepreneur, the guy who wants to make huge amounts of money and exit very quickly. Were you res 
reacting against that then? Were you reacting against the idea of personal wealth? Not really. I, th and I think looking back at that time, I wasn't, I probably wasn't that aware of the, the Silicon Valley model or the culture around that. I was really just d doing my own thing. And I guess trying to find people like me, that's the, 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 the basic human impulse. It was much later that I began to see the broader picture and I suppose develop uh, a critique of the, of the prevailing system. Do you think that the, what you call the prevailing system, the, the Silicon Valley model, has it failed? Well, I think that there are two ways to answer that question. Uh, in, yes or no. In the, <laughs> in, in, in the boldest terms, I think what we've seen over the last year with, with WeWork and Uber symbolically represents the end of that system. It, it, it no longer works in the most basic way. So yes, it's failed. The second way I wanted to answer, in terms of the impact that system has on the world, I think in a much more dramatic and important sense, that system has failed. And is that because you, you mentioned two companies? Uh, I don't think Uber's ever been described as a scam, but it was run by a guy who was extremely unpleasant, whereas WeWork seems to me to be a little bit of a scam. Well, but, but they were both textbook examples of the Silicon Valley model where you pour a huge amount of capital into something that in initially is not profit making, isn't really a business, to try and just carpet bomb territory in the hope that you can then twist the dial and turn it into a profit making business. That was like the textbook Silicon Valley way to grow a giant valuable business. In neither of those cases, has it really worked? And the, obviously the court's still, still out a bit, but it looks like the end of that era. So are you suggesting that they're kind of Ponzi schemes? It is a kind of, it is a kind of establishment Ponzi scheme. So if you, you had two responses to whether or not the Silicon Valley model has failed, you use the WeWorks Uber model as proof that it has failed, but what's your second response? Well, it's really about the, the broader impact um, that I think it's very interesting. If you, if you chart the assumptions and values that surround capitalism uh, over the last 300 years, for the majority of that period, it's got a, a very intricately bound up set of responsibilities and ethical elements to it. Now, what happened somehow in the 1970s when, in a way, the, the, the current version of capitalism really emerged is all of that ethical baggage and all of the responsibilities got stripped out of it. And so we've created the modern version of the system where so long as a business follows the laws, it is basically free to do whatever generates the greatest profit for its shareholders without any sense of responsibility beyond that. And that is a disaster. But would you accept what the Serbian-American economist Branko Milanovic argues, that essentially capitalism or innovation or entrepreneurship now is unquestioned, that we're all capitalists now, we all, we're all entrepreneurs, we're all, we're, we are all want-to-be entrepreneurs. Now, what kind of entrepreneurs we are is, is, is another issue. But no one's questioning the very idea of innovation as being the heart of economics and perhaps of life. And, and I, think that's, I think that's broadly true, uh, and I think it's a good thing, because I think that the more that you can cultivate populations that are entrepreneurial in their thinking, 
the more problem solvers you have and the more decentralized capacity to fix problems and to harness opportunities there. But um, if that is purely cultivated uh, with an aspiration of making personal wealth, like you see the consequences of that, 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 that the kind of environmental degradation that, 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 that's resulted, the kind of social inequality that's resulted. Um, this, uh, like I think a lot of people are reaching the conclusion now that the system cannot continue in its present form. Is one of the reasons why we're, we're struggling to sort of think through alternatives to this innovation economy, is this one of the reasons why the center-left is in crisis in the West generally, and whilst there's a, a kind of reactionary left that goes back to some mid-20th century socialism, progressives on the left haven't really innovated their thinking to catch up with this new economy. Well, and I, I, th I think you're absolutely right, and this is a serious problem, because in a way the right has always had a natural narrative around entrepreneurship. And capitalism. And capitalism. Uh, the, the left, and, even, and the progressive left, it doesn't really have a narrative around entrepreneurship. And I think the problem with a lot of the left narrative, it still leads back towards very centralized statist bureaucratic. solutions. Bureaucratic solutions. And I think there's a tremendous need for thinkers on the left to, to, to really come up with a powerful narrative that is about entrepreneurship and capitalism, but cast in a different form to make it their own. They, they need that territory because I think that's the future. Well, let me wear my old Bolshevik cap for a moment and, and suggest if I was an old Bolshevik or even a, a sort of a, a classic 20th century leftist, I would argue that capitalism and capitalists by definition are reactionary and self-interested. Uh, whether they want to make money or whether they're in the virtue business, as you seem to be, they're all greedy for one thing or another, and they're bad for society. How would you respond to that? Well, I, I would I would say that that is increasingly untrue. That that I suppose here at the Tramperie, over the last ten years, we've supported something around a thousand businesses, and I've met a lot of those those businesses, um, and we we we're very broad in our catchment. We aren't just out to, 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 to have uh, uh, social entrepreneurs or social enterprises as, as businesses. We, we've had everything from financial technology startups to uh, travel and fashion startups. Um, but there is a growing proportion of our membership, which are businesses that are for profits, but which also, their, their business model is designed to deliver uh, environmental or social benefits as part of that. And I th that is a, a, a growing cohort amongst the entrepreneur community, I would say. Charles, what does a, a social capitalism, an evolved, mature social capitalist system look like? Well, I, I think that that is the realm of speculation at this point. I, I think that... Well, speculate. You're, you're a visionary. You're, you're an idealist. You're trying to uh, hatch this thing. I keep on calling it the hatchery, but of course it isn't. Uh, what would you like it to look like? <laughs> then? Um, well, I think that... I suppose that... What I'm seeking with the Trampery 
is that it should be like a laboratory uh, that we, we now specifically want to encourage entrepreneurs and businesses to think a different way. But there's no template for that. So I think we, we all need to go through a period where there's actually a lot of experimentation, a lot of diversity. And then in terms of where that leads in, for the whole system, in many ways, I think it could be a system that institutionally has very similar fabric to what we see at the moment, that, that you have, you have a, a, a banking and capital provision sector, you have a range of intermediaries, you, you have state actors that play a regulatory role, but uh, that you, you, you tweak some of the details of that so that the system rewards ventures uh, that deliver benefits in, term, in, in the way that they operate rather than businesses that are destructive in the way that they operate. What does this imaginary world look like in terms of work? Is it to borrow a, a Silicon Valley term, which I hate, then I can't think of a better one. Is it a long tail of entrepreneurs? Um, or is it a kind of sharing economy architecture where this new entrepreneurial class is a kind of precariat? I, I think the, like all of the current trends suggest that we're moving towards a world with a multitude of smaller enterprises. Small is beautiful. That, that really looks to be the philosophy that we should embrace. That, um, and, and maybe a constantly shifting and fairly fluid uh, architecture of smaller businesses. So things are, are being formed, living for a while, and then either failing or being dis dissolved or being absorbed into other other entities, but the, the, the old structure where we're trying to create, I think trying to create unicorns is, is going to look very dated in a decade. I get that, um, but in a world of increasing inequality, not a, just of economics, but of, of information and education, where it seems in the West at least, we have this huge underclass of increasingly unemployable people how do they participate in, 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 in the, the, the trampery world? Not everyone can become an entrepreneur, can they? In, indeed not. That it, it's like any other human characteristic. It's, um, it, it, it's only a portion of the population that, that, uh, that really has the potential. So, so what else is everyone supposed to do? Well, so part of... You, you mentioned corner shop before, or, a, or just a small, small shop like that. That if you look already... In low-income communities, uh, the people with entrepreneurial potential, the way that they create value for their family and friends and, and the people in their communities is by forming businesses that then create employment for people with different skills. And, and that is a vitally important role that they play. Well, that's given. Now you're sounding like a, a classical economist. I mean, <laughs> that, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, it, it is, but... The way that our, our societies work at the moment, are we, support, are we helping identify who those individuals are in low-income communities? Are we helping them to be more effective? At what do? We're not doing that. And this is not something that classical economics has really focused on. I get that. And maybe we'll come to education later in this conversation. But we're sitting in Old Street, huge amount of development, multi-billion dollar investment going on and rebuilding of, of the city of London and 
a huge metropolitan area. I don't see a lot of small shops. I see huge new Waitroses and Marks and Spencers and Amazon and, and, and Sainsbury's. I don't see a lot of opportunity for small shop owners. They're the ones who shops in this reinvented metropolis. They're the ones who are losing their work, their stores, their opportunities, aren't they? Well, it's, it's not so simple as that. The, 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 you're right, we're sitting here in, in Shoreditch, and in a way, this is the epicenter of, yeah, of London's innovation. The, the ground zero. <laughs> economy. <laughs> um, but, but if I take uh, an example of another of the Champerys buildings. Up How in, many, by the way, do you have of these? So we've, we've opened 12 over the last decade, and uh, we've got six operating right now. And how, how much capital did you need to do that? Um, I actually funded the first one myself, and we've grown organically from that. We bootstrapped. We've got no external in investment. So you're a, you're a social version of WeWorks. <laughs> I, like, I would really hate anyone to describe the Tramfury that way. I'd rather say we, WeWork is a neoliberal version of the Tramfury. Okay. Wow. <laughs> but, but, but I was going to say, so, so we've got uh, a 30,000 square foot uh, site up in the north of Tottenham, actually in, the, in Northumberland Ward, which is the, the, the patch of London um, with the highest unemployment level, uh, the lowest medium income for, per family, uh, and, and a lot of other indicators that, 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 that really show that that's a community that, that's got a lot of challenges. Uh, the kind of entrepreneurs that we're supporting there are, are really very different than the kind of entrepreneurs or that, 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 that you'll, you'll meet here, here at Old Street. Uh, that does that uh, a security business. Uh, there, there are small, small garment and fashion businesses. Uh, there, there are hair and beauty businesses. But those are talented entrepreneurs just the same as somebody who's setting up a, a software venture. And those, those individuals have, have overcome incredible challenges to create their businesses, to learn what they need to do, to gather the resources to make it happen. And they're creating employment. And, and I, I think in, in across, across society, we need to get far, far better at supporting people like that. In a way, they, they shift the dial more than, than creating a few unicorns at the other end of the spectrum. But the guy who opens, uh, or the woman who opens uh, a hair salon in, uh, 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 in Tottenham, uh, are they a social entrepreneur? I mean, they, or they simply want to feed their family. That, 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 that's an entrepreneur. But it's not a social no, entrepreneur. No, they wouldn't, they almost certainly wouldn't. Although some of them might describe themselves as social entrepreneurs, but many of them wouldn't. So coming back to this issue of being a social entrepreneur, is it, is it a real term? It's been a very useful term over the last 20 years okay. because it created an alternative pole from the prevailing model. Whether it's a useful term in the future, I think, is an interesting discussion because when we look forward, I actually think that a lot of the practices and assumptions and values that were associated with social entrepreneurship what we actually need now is for those just to become the values of entrepreneurship. That needs to become the mainstream now. And so in a way, the label could become a hindrance. I could see that being a possibility. And how's that gonna happen? How, 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 how does social entrepreneurship become essentially the economy? That's the great challenge, and I, I would assume in your mind, the great opportunity. Exactly. Do we, de do we need an external shock? A, a catastrophic war, an economic collapse, civil war? 
I, I like. I really hope not. It would be, it but would it's be very, a possibility. It would be very nice if we could avoid any of those things. And I think, it's, but it starts with education. And you, 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 you mentioned right. that earlier. That I you, sometimes joke, Charles, that when we get onto education, it's because we don't know how to fix things, so we always throw it in that bucket. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like the fairy dust yeah. solution. Um, but it, but I think that, that there's actually a very there are some very simple things that we can do. I'm happy to say in this mm. situation. Well, let's 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 talk about education then, because it. I think a lot of people now recognize the system needs to change. And you've got all of this activity happening with large corporations, uh, tweaking their, their behavior, all of this activity with governments, uh, modifying that their regulatory frameworks, all of this activity uh, with consumer behavior, trying to shift people's recycling and, and purchasing habits. But you've got this vacuum in the entrepreneurial space. And if you look at what accelerator programs are doing around the world, they are still blithely uh, stamping out the Silicon Valley 1980s model. And so at the moment, the status quo is we're taking our brightest entrepreneurs from around the world and we are systematically indoctrinating them in a toxic way of working. This is ridiculous. At business schools? At business schools, in accelerators, at, like in every piece of institutional uh, machinery that we've created, that needs to change. So I, I think the, the starting point for how this changes is a radical change in the way that we we uh, train and, and, and prepare entrepreneurs right at the beginning of their careers. So it's not just, uh, but it's not just business schools, is it? Isn't it a, a broader need to reform what education is to equip people to arm them to compete in this new century well indeed and I, like i think entrepreneurship should be part of the curriculum in all primary schools and secondary schools that that i i do think that like that the, the the thinkers who advocate a kind of universal approach to entrepreneurial thinking even to people who don't have the the skill sets necessary to become an entrepreneur themselves i, I like i really think that makes a lot of sense in my last book, How to Fix the Future, um, the last chapter was on education, and I described some of the new kinds of schools, particularly the Waldorf schools, which focus on creativity. Is that the kind of education you would reform that you would like to see? I think so. I, I, and I think starting early is really essential. And, and oddly, there are lots of historical par parallels. You go back to the, the early 20th century, and a lot of the progressive schools then, they actually had entrepreneurial elements in the curriculum. That was, that was part of what they thought was an inevitable development of edu education. Actually, I, I mentioned Michael Young earlier. He was one of the first students at Dartington Hall School in, in the UK that was one of the, the most famous progressive schools there. All students were required to have a business while they were there. And a lot of them were, were things like beekeeping, or I think Mike, Michael did motorcycle maintenance or something, but that was part of the curriculum then. And, and we, it, we just forgot all of that and went back to a kind of Victorian uh, educational model. And given the growth of AI and other kinds of automated technology, which in some ways seem to be making humans redundant, uh, how much time do we have to really reform capitalism? Well, I, I'm afraid if we're going to avoid some of the, the kinds of eventuality that you mentioned earlier, uh, we don't have a lot of time to, to, to waste. So I, 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 by, by nature, I'm an optimist, and that makes it a lot easier to do, 
do my job because I'm always really excited about the the chance to solve problems. That's probably why you haven't written any books. <laughs> but, but maybe in due course, I really hope that I'll have a chance to do that. Um, but 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 I think that I think we've got to do this now, and and I think that. Now being what, 10, the next 10, 15 years? I think the next decade. The next decade, we've the got 2020s. to... The 2020s. This yeah. is the opportunity to what reinvent capitalism, restructure it, re-architect it, much shifting from what you've called the Silicon Valley model to the social capitalist model. I, that, I think we've got a decade. And finally, Michael... Uh, Charles. Charles, I'm getting you mixed up with... Michael uh, Michael Young well, that, Michael that's very Young yeah. after all those Michael Young references <laughs> you want to reinvent re-architect capitalism you want to shift from the from the Silicon Valley model to your social entrepreneurial model you said the next 10 years are critical you've mentioned education give me a couple of other bullets of what needs exactly to happen over the next 10 years to shift the nature of capitalism? Well, so there's a big part of this that is about capital allocation. At the moment, you have the vast bulk of global assets directed to uh, what are essentially toxic outcomes. And there's a tiny chunk of capital that's that's explicitly investing in businesses that have impact related so this is the, the vc model in particular that you that the quick return the 10x model yeah so we need dramatic steps to shift more capital into investment vehicles that are specifically promoting and targeting ventures that have social and environmental impact as well as potentially profit any model there any any principal financiers or wealthy people who are doing this now? Well, so, so there are a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of I, I think already for the last 20 years, uh, there's been a, uh, a kind of experimentation in, um, from family funds and, 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 and wealthy individuals with venture philanthropy and, and responsible investing. Um, but it, it's still at the kind of foothill stage. What you don't have is scale. Uh, and, and, and so I think you need to see pension funds flipping into a new, this new model. You really need to get into the roots of where the bulk of the planet's capital flows are, are, are going. And that hasn't happened yet. And I'm waiting to see one of them take the lead. So we've got education. We've got funding. One other thing that needs to change over the next 10 years. Well, and I think that has to be about the tax system the tax system it has more or less tax <laughs> well I, I think like it's not a very fashionable thing to say but i think i like i believe in progressive taxation that i believe successful businesses and wealthy individuals should pay more tax because otherwise nothing's going to work you're going to have like bubble societies for wealthy people and then the rest of humanity just left to rot more or less and i, I don't really want to live in that future so I, I think we should pay more tax, but I think the system should be designed to incentivize uh, venture creation and venture development that has social and environmental impact built into it, that, that it should discriminate. It shouldn't, because at the moment, a social enterprise at the Champery, we get taxed exactly the same way that WeWork gets taxed. Um, whilst 
we're, we're not particularly profit-oriented. We're, we're, we're trying to make the world better. Um, I think that should change, and that could make a huge difference, that, it, that if we simultaneously educate uh, entrepreneurs to at least consider the choice of what they want to do and, and what they're motivated by, if we rejig the investment system so that there are resources available for entrepreneurs who want to work in a different way, and then if we also use the tax system to incentivize people to do that, then I think that's going to make a difference. And can I just add a final one? Because I, I know you were going to agree with this, but I, I, I want to know how we're going to get there. Is Don't we need political vehicles, new parties or a new ideology or new words to describe this world you want to get to? Well, yeah, we, we're definitely going to need new new language and new 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 perspectives, new thoughts. Whether we need new political parties, I really don't know. Like, I have to say... Uh, I'm not sure whether political parties are the way that effective change is really driven in the world right now. And I, I guess I, I see a lot of, a lot of people who, who, who could be very able politicians actually becoming entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs instead because they conclude that they're going to actually make more difference that way. And, and in a way, at a moment when... It is this laboratory and experimentation stage. Then having people of talent and people who are good at communicating, people who are persuasive, establishing examples and case studies of things being done differently that then other people can be inspired by or can imitate, that may be a better use of their time than going into mainstream politics. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week. And thanks so much for listening. Keenon isn't just a podcast. It's also a book. Our memorable interviews from last year's show about democracy with best-selling writers like Shoshana Zuboff have been turned into a book. Entitled Tomorrow's Versus Yesterday's, Conversations in Defense of the Future, it's available at all good online and offline bookstores. So if you want to read this podcast, please buy tomorrow's versus yesterday's. It's the essential analog complement to this digital show.